Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for another All In Crypto podcast. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Aiden Abic, the CEO and founder of Blockpore, a multi-chain data analytics company. Welcome on board, Braden. Yes, hi. Well, happy to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Uh, I know me and you have been going back and forth and sort of planning doing um, an interview. And, and, you know, I was very much interested in, in getting you on, not only to talk about Blockpore, but to talk about data analytics when it applies to the crypto space in general, because we know in the Web2 space, data is such a massive industry. You know, it's a multi, multi-trillion dollar industry and, and taking away a monetary value from it, it's a very important one. Um, I feel like Web3 is on a similar trajectory. Not enough people are paying attention to um, data. And hopefully, by the end of this interview, me and you can uh, maybe turn their heads towards it. Um, so thank you very much for coming on. Uh, and with all my guests, I really like to go back uh, and start with them. So uh, a little bit about yourself, Braden, uh, and how perhaps you got into the crypto space, because we've all got weird and wonderful stories about how we ended up here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's always interesting hearing, like you had some other people's stories as well about how you know people enter the space. It's always something something different. Um, so I am I'm from Canada. Um, I had first heard of of Bitcoin when I was in in high school. I think 20, 2013. Uh, maybe I was doing a lot of. I guess I've always been like a hacker at heart. Uh, started programming at you know thirteen years old, twelve years old. Um, and throughout high school, I was you know kind of self teaching myself coding, programming, going through a bunch of online forums. Um, and stumbled upon people talking about Bitcoin. Uh, at the time, you know, I just associated with digital uh, digital money, I guess, like internet money, magic internet money. And I thought that was cool, cool in and of itself uh, at the time. Um, and I actually wanted to buy miners uh, back then, but I didn't have, you know, money to buy them. So uh, gave up on that, you know, stopped kind of looking into Bitcoin. That kind of died. That idea kind of died there. Um, and then a few years later, uh, when I was in university, uh, heard of of Dogecoin kind of in a similar way, and it kind of re-sparked my interest, I guess, kind of in, in, in the space. Um, and so I ended up, you know, diving pretty deep again, you know, going through the Bitcoin white paper this time and looking at all the other projects in the space. Um, and then obviously getting more involved at that time. Uh, obviously with Ethereum launching, um, that kind of changed a lot of things for me because me being a programmer, you know, seeing the idea of smart contracts, the concept concept of smart contracts, I think, really clicked for me. Um, and I've basically been full-time in the space since about 2016, um, from that. And I've really been building, I'd say like data tools since then as well. A lot of personal projects. I've worked at a few crypto companies. Um, and then obviously now with Walkpore. So I I'd say I, I went pretty head first into the space, uh, from about 2016 till, till now. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone does. I think, I think getting into crypto, uh, and crypto, I don't even like using the word crypto because it's such a blanket yeah. term that incorporates, a whole load of shenanigans along with actually something very real that is um, the transformative nature of this technology. Um, but I've always likened people getting into crypto in regards to them getting into a cold swimming pool, right? First, they dip their toe in and then they just fully submerge themselves and get it over and done with. And uh, what, was there a moment in particular that made where this industry kind of made sense to you? You know, was there any specific thing that you can think that that, that stood out and you went, ah, right, this really is something colossal that we've stumbled on. Yeah, I'd say when I so when I started working in the industry when I first started, um I think my first payment because I was a contractor for some some crypto companies, I uh, was doing a lot of like web web dev work. Uh you know, being paid in Bitcoin, I think was 
very interesting in i mean these this is like the basics of bitcoin obviously uh but at the time you know it was just super cool being able to get a payment from somebody across the world so fast right because at that time i mean we're all used to wire transfers um especially back then i mean things were even slower than they are today with with banks and so being able to receive you know like a monthly salary in you know like 15 minutes uh was quite crazy uh, i thought that was super cool um but i'd say like the biggest the biggest kind of turning point for me with the industry was probably some of the dApps that started launching on Ethereum, like Uniswap, right? Peer-to-peer trading and just like the abilities and kind of how you can abstract that and build on top of that and the concepts behind it, I think, are what really, I think, um, turned the light bulb on for me, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I would actually uh, uh, agree, you know, kind of follow Bitcoin, seeing the kind of revolutionary properties that it brings from a sort of uh, peer-to-peer payment side of things, certainly globally. Um, and then when you get this kind of, you know, um, the whole reason Ethereum came about was really to add this extra layer of capabilities to this underlying uh, technology. You kind of go, wow, the world of possibilities really has opened up. And of course, what you guys are doing with analytics um, is simplifying it, putting it in order um, and making sense of uh, a, a lot of what's happening, which we're going to come on to. But if I can just go back, you mentioned that you've always been interested in the kind of analytical side of things. Um, why is that? Is there a specific reason why you're interested in that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like data analytics, I don't think is a super exciting topic. I mean, I think nowadays it is because that's what really I mean. Cool. You know, it's, it seems like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I, when I started, it was a lot of like web dev work. And so I was actually more interested in like the visualization side of things. So building tools to visualize data, not so much like process raw data. Um, I think the, the, the data side for me became very interesting, um, when it comes to Uniswap, uh, and especially when other DEXs started launching like SushiSwap. And the reason being was at the time I was doing like very simple arbitrage between Uniswap and like a Binance. So you'd buy an asset on Uniswap, sell it on a Binance, which is like very inefficient arbitrage, but it, it kind of worked at the time. Um, and then obviously with SushiSwap and other DEXs launching, you could do on-chain arbitrage, um, which was very interesting because you can start building smart contracts, you know, getting into solidity. Um, but it really showed, I think, the gap of data, which is kind of where the interest peaked because of the size of the gap, I think, in the industry, which still exists today, as I'm sure, you know, you, you know, when we were talking about earlier. Um, but that's really where my interest in data came was, I guess, the problems that you could actually solve with data and how how big those problems actually are in in crypto back then, but also, you know, still persisting uh, to this day now. Yeah, so I, I take it that's where the kind of vision for um block pool came from you know you know what was the kind of moment where you said okay let's you know let's build something to solve this this problem um what 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 was that kind of process like was it just because you had the interest there and then you thought okay well i can build something to 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 satisfy that interest or or, or what did that kind of look like yeah so i'd say block pool is like an evolution of a, a big personal project that has been ongoing uh, over the past few years. Um, and as I was saying earlier with, you know, I started doing arbitrage trading, building some smart contract bots. Um, and that's kind of, I, I guess, where like the initial concept of block four kind of came in, into what it is today. And the the problem that I noticed back back then was the siloed liquidity um, of these other DEXs, right? So if you have Uniswap that has certain trading pairs, you have SushiSwap that has the same trading pairs, um, but they have different liquidity, right? They're both competing products. They're competing uh, for liquidity, essentially. Um, and th- that's actually quite bad, I think, for the end user, because you end up getting price inefficiencies. Uh, it's good for people who build arbitrage bots that are efficient, because they could obviously uh, create that efficiency in pricing uh, and get rewarded for it. 
Um, but for Block4, it was really early on me building scripts of data. I started joining a lot of telegrams, joining a lot of discords, kind of sharing some of the scripts I was building, uh, you know, publishing some of the data that I had. Uh, and there was just a lot of interest, I think, from the community at the time, you know, for things that I was building, which was which was super cool. I also got a lot of help from, from people in the space as well. Um, and over time, I mean, this this problem has grown and it continues to grow to this day where, I mean, there's hundreds of DEXs on Ethereum like right now, today, right? And every single one of them, for the most part, is competing against each other for liquidity. Um, and this problem just grows exponentially when you take in, into consideration the multi-chain aspect of it, where now you have DEXs on you know, Binance chain, you have DEXs on all these different, or BNB chain, sorry, you have DEXs on all these different networks, uh, Optimism, Arbitrum, et cetera. And you have liquidity kind of scattered all across, you know, all across these networks and exchanges. And so it's really trying to build tools and analytics to help kind of, I guess, aggregate this all together um, and which slowly formed into what Blockware is today. And that's our primary offering as a company is building tools uh, for that exact problem. Uh, but it really just evolved over years of myself just kind of hacking away at stuff while I was working full time. Um, and then I eventually obviously decided to pursue it full time. Um, but it was really a personal project that evolved into a, a company. <clears throat> So it's been something you've been thinking about for, for for a long time and actually working on, um, which is always it, it's very it's always nice to and refreshing to hear of a kind of story, a passion that then turns into a a, a, a career. And um, you mentioned the kind of um, exponential growth of um, kind of compiling data with not just Ethereum now and all the DEXs they've got, but the likes of Arbitrum, these layer twos that we're seeing pop up. Um, also the likes of other chains like Algorand, you know, you guys are a multi-chain data analytics um, company, but you've also probably got that kind of exponential growth. You've also got the growth of the industry as a whole, which is why I was so interested to get you on because it's truly um, uh, my kind of belief that everything is going to be on a blockchain. Uh, or it could be a DAG. Everything's going to be digitalized. And um, there will be public blockchains like we've got today, and there also will be private, but there's going to be a um, an ecosystem that kind of moves around within that. And, and the need for data, certainly when it comes to, to, to on-chain data, is going to become exponentially more and more important. And to, to, to kind of get familiar with the likes of what you guys are doing at this early stage, I think is is you know why I was so excited to have you uh, on the show. So if we could maybe move on to a little bit about what Blockpore itself actually is. So if you could just give us the, the, the kind of headline and then we'll get into a little bit about how it works and, and what's currently available. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you kind of you kind of described it quite well with the one-liner. Um, I'll, I'll give a similar one-liner, maybe expand a little bit, a little bit further than that. But yeah, I mean, Blockpore is, I guess, at a high level, it's a multi-chain uh, data analytics and aggregation platform. Um, and so what we basically do is we aggregate data coming from all these different networks. We pull it all together, and then we represent it through our front end and through our APIs. Uh, we aggregate on-chain trades. So we capture all DEX movements, uh, liquidity pool actions, and also on-chain transfer events. So anytime somebody is basically moving tokens on any of these networks, we are basically capturing these events, and then we're aggregating insights out of them. Um, so we're not just showing the events like a block explorer would. Uh, we do aggregation on top of the data before we present it to our front end. So there's some work that we're doing behind the scenes before we ship it to our front end. Uh, so we are definitely a lot different than a block explorer. Um, and we try to provide the insights in a meaningful way for people to obviously um, e extract, you know, hopefully uh, uh, valuable information from it. Um, and a lot of people use it for finding new tokens to trade. 
uh, or to get insights into kind of where to trade tokens, where to buy tokens, and also kind of what's happening in these different ecosystems. Yeah, it's kind of like putting on X-ray vision glasses and and taking a look into the uh, the, the the blockchain space. And I've, I I often have used um, block explorers. I think for people that are newer to the space, they are very hard to understand. Um, certainly when it comes to tracing yourself, the origins of a token or where it may have moved to or where it may have came from. Um, so you guys kind of really simplify that. You cover, do you cover every, so any ERC20 token, you guys have got essentially the data for that. Is that how this yeah. works? Anything that's native to Ethereum, as Ethereum is one of the uh, chains that you guys um, cover on uh, over at Blockport, you guys can see every every single thing that's going on with that. Yeah. So one nice thing with Blockport is we work. I, I mean, a lot of. I mean, we have we have a, a few competitive advantages, obviously, and competitive edges. And I think one of them is definitely in our our indexing. And so something a little bit unique to Blockport, I'd say, opposed to some of the other data companies, you know, one of the things would be um, if you go to like a you know a Coin Gecko or a Coin Market Cap, you need to submit a token. And this, I think this also works with things like Dapparator, where you submit your contract, right? It goes through a process and then it gets shown on their, on their platform. Uh, for us, when it comes to the data that we have on our platform, we don't require user submissions. So by default, we capture every single ERC-20 uh, that is trading anywhere. So people don't need to submit their tokens. If somebody creates a token right now during this call and there is a Uniswap pair for that token, we would be showing data for it. Um, so we operate a little bit differently in, in terms of how we index. There's obviously pros and cons to that because there's a lot of, uh, you know, like low liquidity tokens that exist yep. for lack of a better word, I guess. Um, but it, I think it also gives us some, some edges in terms of, you know, new token launches, things like that. Uh, we could be pretty quick in showing data before, you know, some others do. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. It's fascinating. And, and, uh, again, just to maybe explore, um, that a little bit more, you know, let's say for example, You've got a new token that's launched on um, Ethereum, although I believe it's 10 different chains that you guys are currently providing on-chain analytics for. 11. 11, it's okay. Bitcoin isn't shown on, on our front end, but yes, we also support Bitcoin as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so Bitcoin was the one that I was uh, uh, missing there. Um, let's say somebody launches a new token um, and on Ethereum, a new ERC-20, and you guys essentially see a lot of movement in that token. You know, you see a lot of swaps taking place, whether that be USDT into that token. Is that something that, I mean, how do you showcase that? Or is that just something people would have to kind of come and look up themselves? Or do you guys say, hey, look, there's a lot of volume going in. Is there like a leaderboard with volume going into ERC-20s? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. So the, the primary way that we see people using our current platform is people will go to our platform and type in a token. Um, <clears throat> and so if you type in a token, we would show you all the trades for that token, you know, transfers for that token, pricing graphs, liquidity graphs, et cetera. Uh, we also have a page for top movers. Uh, so you could basically, that's where you would see like kind of a leaderboard. You could basically explore current trending tokens by different metrics. So if you wanted to see, you know, the top traded tokens in the last 15 minutes across all networks, we basically aggregate a table with those tokens that match that criteria for you. Um, we plan to expand that page quite a bit as well to kind of do a lot of what you were saying around leaderboards. Uh, but right now that page kind of functions sort of what you were you were getting at there where you can kind of filter um, and, and, and basically discover new tokens essentially uh, through that through that page. Wow, yeah. And like I say, you don't just do this for, a th I mean, I, I can't even think how many tokens are on Ethereum mm -hmm. right now. It's got to be in the thousands, right? What are we... 
Oh, it's it's way it's way deeper than thousands. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure we like last I checked, I think we had you know six hundred thousand tokens indexed across all the networks. So wow. I don't know the distribution between Ethereum and others. I know BNB has quite a lot, but yes. Ethereum has to be in the deep ten thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Wow, um, unbelievable! Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. That's a lot of. Uh... Uh, uh, on-chain data to kind of aggregate. <laughs> I mean, that's a task right there. Um, but um, so what would you say you guys are, you know, w- w- I'd really like to dive into some of the other chains in just a second that you guys are, and maybe go through the list. Um, but what would you guys say that the, the, the real vision is here? You know, what is Blockpore trying to become? Are you guys trying to be the go-to um, data analytics site for everyone or you know, is it more institutional? What what what's what's the vision for you guys here? Yeah, yeah. So for Blockpore, we have two products. I guess we technically have three products. So we have obviously our retail front end, which is kind of free to access. Anybody can go there and get token insights. We have our API, so people could pay us to consume our endpoints and build their own apps. And we've actually seen that happen, which is which is pretty cool. Um, you know, we have API customers who basically pull our data and build their own dashboards and, and sell products themselves based off of our data. Um, and then the third product we have that we're super excited about is our enterprise product. Um, so we have kind of three different, uh, I guess, avenues as, as a business. Uh, in terms of vision, I think, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's really just making sense of a lot of on-chain uh, data like at the core. Um, on the enterprise side, that would be more so on the reconciliation. Uh, on the retail side, it'd be more so in understanding what's happening on-chain, right? Like if, if a retail user wants to buy a token, um, and the deployer of that token has scammed several people in the past with other contracts, that information is on-chain, right? You could see which contracts that deployer has made before. It's just combining all the data points together to show it in a way that makes sense. Because a lot of people, I don't think, understand or, or are able to find a lot of these, these data points. And so for us, it's trying to make this, the space maybe a little bit safer, but also just bring mean, meaningful insights um, out of the world, I guess, of, of on-chain data. And also, you know, we had talked earlier really briefly about, you know, block explorers. Um, you know, we support Algorand as well. And one of the problems is most block explorers that are EVM will use like an Etherscan, uh, you know, powered by Etherscan, the Etherscan team. Uh, but when you start getting into non-EVM networks like Solana or Algorand, I mean, these are different block explorers, right? So as a user, you need to teach yourself now, you know, how do I uncover insights on Solana scan or whatever, you know, the, 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 scan, the scanning uh, sites are there. Um, whereas for us, we're kind of abstracting a lot of that stuff away from the end user um, and just building very simple interfaces to hopefully, you know, give the user exactly what they're looking for without needing to understand and use all these different tools. Uh, they can basically come to one place um, and derive the insights that they're looking for. <clears throat> yeah, brilliant. You know, I, I, and I think it kind of um, very much aligns with where the crypto space needs to go. You know, UIs need to be simple for... Uh, mass adoption and, and and for everyday people to use them. You know, when I set up a MetaMask for my grandpa, you know, he was kind of like, you know, you, you'd have thought there was a ghost or something in the room. It was very kind of uh, esoteric. Um, so I, I think I really love what you're saying. You know, I, I've used a lot of uh, block explorers for pretty much most blockchains. Some of them are just, I would say, quite frankly, unworkable. Um, others are okay, but still complex. So what you guys are doing in terms of aggregating it all and your interfaces are um, your actual visual representations of the things that we're talking about are very simple and easy to understand and very um, picturesque, if that makes sense. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of like a diagram if, if, if uh, 
which for somebody like myself who's dyslexic, it makes it a lot easier to to um, understand. So, so what current networks are you guys supporting right now? You know, what we listed eleven, so we know about Bitcoin. Um, can we maybe go through um, the sure. other ten? Yeah. So, okay, we I might repeat some of these, but yeah, we support. Yeah. Um, we support most of the major EVMs. So we have like the Ethereum, uh, Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, Avalanche, Phantom, BNB Chain, uh, Algorand, and Bitcoin, and then also Moonbeam as well. Yeah, um, I believe that might have been eleven. I could I could be missing one. If you go to our platform, you could see them all. But yeah, those yep. are basically all the networks that we were supporting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and and were those networks? Why were those networks chosen specific? Are they personal favorites of yours? Was it, obviously mm. Ethereum is quite obvious, and Bitcoin. You know, they're the, the the largest networks out there. Why in specific did you choose those particular platforms? Do you just like them, or was there the demand you think for them? Yeah, I mean, as a company, we we try to obviously stay unbiased and agnostic. I think in terms of you know like choosing choosing winners or not. Um, for us, we really just want to provide the most value that we can obviously for our our customers um and users of the platform uh and so yeah i mean in terms of how we pick networks i'd say it it's it's um a variety of different metrics i think tvl is definitely a big one um blockcore was primarily uh like a defi on-chain trading platform we've since expanded to do more things like on-chain transfers um and so initially a lot of our decisions for which networks support was purely driven off of tvl and on-chain trading volume um, and over time, that's kind of evolved a bit into us supporting Bitcoin, which obviously doesn't have on-chain trading, right? Um, but there's a lot of obviously institutional use cases on the enterprise side, um, and also a lot of transfer activity happens on on Bitcoin. So I'd say it's a mix between you know enterprise uh, prioritization and also I guess kind of retail activity as well. Um, and then in terms of you know how we support networks, uh, EVM networks obviously are are much faster for us to integrate. Because uh, we could reuse a lot of you know the similar components on the on the indexer we have, uh, but we have done custom integrations like Algorand being one, and we plan to do more in the future. Um, but that's why we're so heavy on the EVM side up till up till now. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. And, and and we spoke a little bit off camera, but there th- th- definitely are, and, and we can touch on this uh, towards the end of the interview. Um, plans to integrate you know m- many more blockchains eventually. Um, yes, which is which is something I'm personally very excited about. I mean, there's enough to um sort of look through at the moment more than enough to look through at the moment um but you know it, it's going to be very interesting to see where you guys are in the next five years and and, and just how much you've grown with the industry and and uh, and some of these um chains that i think are starting to get recognized i think I, w- I watched a study and it said actually that um ethereum in terms of smart contracts is actually losing market share to many of these other platforms i think that's quite a natural progression I mean, when I say losing market share, it's still the top dog by a mile, um, but there is a slowly trending down. Um, and maybe you can affirm or or, or deny that um, sort of uh, trend with Ethereum and, and other blockchains taking a little bit of its market share. Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole the whole conversation around Ethereum is interesting. You know, around like L1s, L2s, L3s, L4s, yep. whatever number right now. I'm sure it's going to continue to grow slightly. Um, I know that there's been a lot of buzz, you know, with like like uh, ZK Sync and some of these other networks. And, and I think whenever there's buzz like base, I think some activity obviously goes to those networks. A lot of on-chain stuff. A lot of people are moved there for, I guess, mainly honestly gambling, like you know, buying these these new tokens and kind of where trends are happening. Um, and so I think like market share for Ethereum, you know, kind of go, goes up and uh, up and down, kind of like the the gas price as well. 
um, with some of these LPUs, I, I would expect a lot of, you know, some of this on-chain stuff to, to go towards there as well. So um, yeah, it is definitely interesting. Yeah, for sure. I had uh, Sebastian Gilliman on, who's um, the founder of DC Spark and Milk Amida. Um, and they're a layer two for both Algrand and Cardano. Um, and we were talking about layer twos in general and that kind of uh, um, space. And actually, you've got a lot more volume taking place on layer twos than you do the underlying layer ones now at this point, which which makes a lot of sense from a cost point of view um, and that kind of stuff, which I think is uh, very interesting to see how things are going that way, you know? The other interesting uh, thing as well with, with Ethereum is although there is more trades happening on these other networks, like on-chain trades, the top volume and top TVL is still Ethereum. Um, and the other interesting metric as well that we've, we've, we've noticed recently is the largest trade sizes <clears throat> are still happening on Ethereum, uh, which is kind of funny because, uh, you know, if you're trading on Ethereum, you're probably trading with larger size because gas is obviously more expensive. And so although there's more trades happening on, you know, like the polygons, the optimism, the arbitrums, et cetera, the trade sizes are much smaller there because uh, gas is, is way cheaper. Uh, but overall volume, I think Ethereum is still the, the clear winner for a lot of the, the DeFi and on-chain stuff, same with TVL. Um, but the frequency, and I think the amount of people interacting is higher on other networks, um, partially because of probably the gas, you know, cheaper to transact, faster to transact, et cetera. Yeah, the, the whole, like you said, the whole sort of Ethereum, we could go down that rabbit hole, um, but maybe we have to do another uh, interview on that because that's probably a whole talk in itself about what Ethereum becomes in regards to being more of a kind of security layer for these layer twos and whether we do see that migration of um, high value transactions moving off onto some of these layer twos or whether it stays on Ethereum. That's a whole uh, another uh, chat, I think. Um, so coming back to sort of data, and, and there's probably a million and one reasons why data is important, but why is data in, in your own kind of words so important? you know, specific to crypto? Yeah, I mean, I think for crypto, uh, I mean, I guess to preface a little bit, it's, it's kind of ironic, um, you know, the the situation that we're in, I think, it, with crypto, um, seeing as we're dealing with like open source technology and the data is open, right? Anybody can access raw data. They can make RPC calls. Um, the data is basically there, but it's actually incredibly hard to turn that into something meaningful, which is kind of an interesting problem to have. Um, and th this problem is, is mainly solved, obviously, in, in, in traditional finance as well, right? Like this problem with data is obviously, um, it's a huge market. Uh, I think data is very important, especially in Web3, because a lot of decisions are obviously based off of data. Um, if you look at people, you know, trading tokens, trading NFTs, trading GameFi, um, a lot of the stuff requires data and understanding of, you know, what you're buying, who you're buying from, who your counterparty is, understanding risk, I think is a big one as well. In crypto with data, I think it's very hard to understand the level of risk that you're taking without knowing the, the data behind it and what you're actually doing on chain. Um, you see a lot of hacks and exploits happen as well. A lot of these are a lot of these are social engineering hacks where you sign a message in MetaMask, uh, but you don't know what you're signing. Even though the the signature and what you're signing is actually there, you just click sign and you're you could be wiping your wallet. Right. And so I, I think data is very important, especially in this space, because of the power that comes behind it. I mean, we're signing with our with our private keys a lot of the times with MetaMask. And so I think that's very important. I also think on the enterprise institutional use case side, you know, there's a lot of institutions who I'm sure you've heard of as well, who are slowly, actually, maybe not slowly, but trying to get into the space quite quickly. 
Um, and I think, you know, one of the gaps right now is, is data, right? Making decisions, business intelligence, understanding, you know, which chains to go with, where to launch. Um, there's just so many questions up in the air, I think, on, on the business intelligence side um, that just don't have data points behind them. Um, and so I think there's, there's you know, arguments both on the retail and the institutional side for the importance of data that are slightly different, but they both have overlaps. Yeah, and, and and the really interesting thing is they're both set to grow exponentially, both the retail yeah. kind of applications for data and also institutional. You know, I, I, I make videos every single day and I have been for the past three, nearly four years now, um, for as long as I've had a channel talking about this kind of new wave of finance, that the digitalization of things is, you know, the tokenization of things is, is bringing about. And what we're seeing more and more, um, I did a, a daily market update today, um, and we looked at some comments from one of the hires up in JP Morgan, and he said, right now, POCs, proof of concepts, are it, it's been done. We're just all waiting to take that leap. And I think a lot of that, uh, that taking the leap, there's a lot of um, regulatory uncertainty that's preventing them from doing that right now. But once you get that green light, I don't know whether we're going to get it or not. I would say we will. Inevitably, in, in in the US, predominantly, but I know you know there's a lot more uh, other friendlier um, countries in the US. You know, it, it, it's all systems go, and everything. City yesterday came out and said they're going to start tokenizing customer deposits. JP Morgan have said the same thing. You know, BlackRock, you name it. The enterprise sort of side of uh, crypto interaction. And then the data that could come out as a result of that, I think, is is going to be colossal. I don't know if you've got any sort of insight into all that. Certainly, if you think about the whole world, everything's going to be tokenized and ran on a multiple blockchains, quite likely. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of overwhelming. I mean, this the space moves so fast; it's almost distracting at times. I mean, you take a week off of crypto, and there's a new L1, there's a new L2, and there's a couple more, you know, institutional use cases that you hear about on Coin Telegraph. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would just echo your points just around, I think, the speed at which a lot of this is happening behind the scenes. I think people get very discouraged during kind of these bear markets that we go through. I know we've been going through one for quite some time, but institutions, I don't think, really care about bear markets. I think they continue to build and there's use cases that are being refined. And so as although people think the space is moving slow, I think it will rapidly pick up. And it's kind of what we see during these cycles, right, where suddenly there's these things launching um, that appear to come out of nowhere, but they've just been, you know, building over, over time. Um, and say, so, yeah, I would just echo what you said earlier. I think there's tons of stuff in the works um, behind the scenes right now on both the institutional side, but also the retail side. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting to see. We've kind of got this uh, almost, I don't know, we've kind of categorized crypto into like an empire strikes back kind of cryptos, which are very much institutional friendly and then kind of public uh, cryptos that are kind of like the rebellion. And I, I think it's interesting to see how, and maybe you could classify that as retail institution, or I don't know, but it's it's very interesting to see how um, everything's coming together. But one thing that you know, I, I think we're both pretty um, set on is that you know the, the transformative nature of this technology. I mean, it's going to have hundreds of trillions potentially of value um, flowing through it. Doesn't mean the market cap or anything has to be that, and there's that much value in the in the individual cryptos. But in terms of the, what it facilitates, it, it, it's huge, and and data is going to grow right along with that. Um, so. Could you maybe give a couple or, or, or just one or two use cases that you would use your platform for? You know, they can be as imaginative um, as you want them to be or as basic as you want them to be. Um, if you could just give a couple use cases, that would be uh, brilliant. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I think one use case uh, is uh, well. I, yeah. So I, I guess one use case I'm trying to think of about when I prioritize over the other. Um, I guess one use case would be better understanding of a token that you might hold. Um, so, for example, if you're if you're a holder of a token like Aave, uh, you could basically use our platform uh, to understand the different traders of Aave. You know who the holders are, trading patterns. You know people buying Aave, people selling Aave, um, and also liquidity for Aave as well. Um, one thing interesting with Blockcore is if you're if you want to trade a token like Aave, uh, you might only trade on Uniswap. Uh, there could actually be better price execution or better price uh, for that token on a different dex somewhere else, right? And so with Blockcore, we'll basically show you all the different avenues of where liquidity sits and how much liquidity there is, and then you as a user could decide where you want to trade that token, right? Um, and so I think it's just really exploring tokens at a bit of a deeper level is, is one use case. Um, and I think, you know, a second use case, which is kind of like a, a secondary of, of the first one, is discovering new tokens. Um, so being able to see all these different ecosystems in one place um, and being able to see tokens trending across base, across BNB, across Arbitrum, Optimism, all in one interface, I think is pretty cool. Um, instead of having to go to multiple different platforms, you could basically just go to Blockcore and kind of see tokens trending across all these different ecosystems uh, in one spot. And we also have a, a way to visualize on-chain transfers. Um, so I know the Arkham um, is quite famous for their visualizer, for being able to see you know, movements of funds. Uh, we also have a visualizer as well on our platform, and you can kind of visualize, um, I guess, movements of tokens, basically. So if you're following an Arkham, you'll be able to see kind of people moving that token in and out of Binance or in and out of centralized exchanges and kind of the funds flowing uh, between entities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've got two questions that have instantly popped into my head. One about centralized exchanges. Um, one, uh, you know, we, we cover Chainlink quite a lot of the channel. We we really think Chainlink is, it already has proven to be a key part of sort of the crypto spaces infrastructure, certainly when you talk about DeFi, um, but actually is, is probably going to be a key player like we see with the announcements that are coming out with Swift or ANZ, one of the largest banks in uh, Australia. Um, they're likely going to be a key player in regards to, um, um, you know, how the institutional side of things interacts with the crypto side of things or, or blockchain or, or whatever you want to call it side of things. Um, I always get a question saying, okay, well, can you do a little bit more on the tokenomics in regards to the foundation, how much they hold, and um, what the kind of release has looked like so far of the tokens that are held by the foundation. Is that something people could use Blockpool for, to use that as one example? Yeah, not yet. And the reason being is a lot of the insights on Blockpool, almost all the insights on Blockpool are derived on-chain. The, the problem with token unlocks and things like that is it requires a centralized source, right? Like there's no way to know token unlocks properly, strictly on-chain. I mean, there's vesting smart contracts that exist, but it's always the team submitting to CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap, right? When it comes to being able to see vesting or circulating supply. Um, and so for us, we don't support that now, maybe in the future, uh, but we're more so interested in, in what we could derive on-chain. Um, and it's very hard to get circulating supply or, or team vesting schedules uh, on-chain. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And, and the second question that I kind of had for you was, do you guys track exchanges in flows in and out of centralized exchanges? Let's use Coinbase um, as an example. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So we, we like I said, on a visualizer, you'd be able to look up Coinbase and see all the inflows and outflows on Coinbase. You could filter by token, by amount. Uh, but we also have another feature on our platform called Entity Stats. 
And you could basically select the entity, so Coinbase or Binance, you could select the day and you could see the aggregated inflow and outflow for that day across all their wallets. So Coinbase obviously has several wallets that make up that entity. Same with Binance, like there's like, you know, 20 plus different addresses for Binance. Um, we aggregate all those together and we'll basically show you a sum of which tokens entered and left all Binance's wallets on a particular day, um, which is quite interesting during like large liquidity events or during large market movements, um, especially during things like FTX. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when you can kind of visualize and see, uh, I, I guess in retrospect, kind of, you know, the inflows and the outflows and how that kind of, you know, trickled down and affected other centralized exchanges as well, like Coinbase and Binance, et cetera. Um, so we definitely do have functionality to to do just that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, that's certainly something I'm going to be using Blockpool for um, because, you know, I think Coinbase is going to be one of those unicorn stocks of the future. Um, I really do believe that. I think they're, they're not going anywhere and I think they're going to be a major, major player in everything that's to come. Um, likely from a custodial point of view, they're also, you know, uh, a public company with base and it's very interesting dynamic there. And for somebody who's an investor in Coinbase, it's going to be interesting to see from an on-chain point of view what's going on um, uh, uh, as well as, you know, from a, a sort of fundamental and technical point of view. And um, the interesting thing that popped up into my head there when you were talking about FTX, could you guys foresee using and this is probably going to be uh, a bit of a wild card. Could you guys foresee using your data platform weaknesses in, in the likes of FTX? Or for example, Binance right now, we know are going back and forth with the SEC. Could I use your platform to go and look at Binance's wallets and see if they add up to perhaps what's out there or is there dis discrepancies there? Probably quite a hard question to, to answer. No, yeah, no, it, it makes sense. I think there's a couple of things like the the problem with, I mean, you, you're probably aware of the all the exchanges following this proof of reserves um, after FTX, right? Everybody kind of did it. I know Binance did it as well, I believe. The problem with proof, proof of reserves is Binance is basically telling you, you know, these are all of our on-chain wallets uh, and these are all the funds in them. And it's very easy for tools like Blockport to verify which tokens sit in a wallet, right? Like that's very easy to do to know balances. The problem is Binance could be using other wallets that they haven't yet included in that list, right? So it might look like there might be money missing or Binance might be shuffling things around. But if we don't have wallets labeled properly, we don't know if that's a gap or if Binance just hasn't added a new address yet, right? I think there's a lot of things that go go, go on behind the scenes. I, I don't know if, if you've been following, but I know for Coinbase, there's been a lot of movements of Ethereum, and it's usually just into an internal wallets, right? Just like cold wallets moving, hot wallets moving, like things shuffle all the time. And so I think proof of reserves can be a little bit difficult. Um, I think in terms of though, like using a tool like Blockport to potentially identify issues early is being able to use that entity stats and see if there's anomalies with inflows and outflows, right? Um, if there's large outflows uh, or large inflows, whatever the case might be, there's usually reasonings behind it. And so if you notice like significant outflows, I'd say that's probably not a, a great sign. It's it's likely whales or large players trying to exit. Um, I mean, that could be one thesis. It could also be Binance doing something. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think a lot of this is really like a guessing game. Uh, but tools like Walkport could definitely help put some insight behind the blindness, I guess, of what's going on at these exchanges. And at least you can kind of see how funds are moving around and you can make your own decisions, right? If you think large outflows are a red flag, 
then you can withdraw your assets, right? Um, and so for us, we don't necessarily tell users what to do, even on the trading side. We just present the data and say, look, like, you know, take, do what you will with it. Um, if you think this is a red flag, then you should withdraw. If you think this looks fine, then, you know, keep your assets on on the exchange. Um, we don't really lean towards one way or the other or tell people what to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I, I used to use uh, the COP quite a lot, which is commitment of traders. Um, okay. You know, I've been sort of uh, trading for about eight years now and, and obviously started off in Forex like everyone and progressed to a far more erratic and volatile industry, which doesn't make much sense. But, um, you know, we use something called commitment of traders, which kind of shows positioning of, you know, yeah. who's committed to, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I kind of see some areas of on-chain analytics um, or data analytics kind of being similar to that in regards to you getting to see who's positioned where and where things are, which is uh, which is nice. And, 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 and so you can track outflows and, of course, inflows on, on onto these big exchanges, which there's going to be alpha in, I believe. Yeah, and it's it's the same kind of concept as well. Like uh, if you look at on, on-chain tokens, again, like an Aave, um, on Blockpour, we'd actually be able to show you if there's been a large movement of funds of Aave onto Binance, right? Um, and chances are, if somebody is sending funds on-chain to Binance, they're likely selling. I mean, that's one that's one idea, right? Um, and so again, for us, it's really providing all these insights to the users and, and uh, you know, they could do what they will with that information. Um, but we definitely provide a lot of stuff with centralized exchanges and, you know, flows of funds and how people are moving things around these different ecosystems. And since Blockboard is multi-chain, um, you'd be able to kind of follow these wallets across all the networks that we support as well. So if somebody's bridging funds, you'd be able to follow that across a bridge. Um, and then if they're depositing from a different network, you'd be able to see that as well. Yeah, no, super interested. I'm I'm just thinking as we're, we're sort of going through this interview of all the things that I'm going to look up uh, once we jump off the call, you know, there's going to be some weird things getting looked up. But um, so who right now is is, is Blockpore accessible to? What's your sort of geographic right now? You know, are you mostly retail? Have you got quite a lot of institutional sort of people using the platform? Is that even something you can talk about? You know, what's your sort of geographic in regards to um, accessibility right now for Blockpore? Yeah, so obviously our, our, our retail platform is, is free to access. Uh, for anyone, we have like a, a freemium model. So it's a subscription model where if you want additional features, you would have to have a plan to see them. Uh, but we offer, I'd say, a, a significant portion of the retail stuff for free without an account for anybody to access. Um, and then on the enterprise, obviously, we're launching the enterprise product actually this week. Um, so we were at some conferences over the last couple of weeks doing demos, walkthroughs, um, and we're going to start the onboarding process this week. So super excited for that. Um, and I'd say a lot of the attention is, is on the enterprise side right now. Um, for retail, we definitely have have a business there. We have you know people who are subscribing there, um, and we're going to continue to push features. Um, but the, the focus right now is is launching this enterprise product and getting as much growth as we can uh, on that side of things. Um, the other nice thing with Blockport as a business is we kind of have this like core foundation, uh, like a data lake uh, that we could build features on top of, and a lot of these complement each other for both enterprise and retail, right? So if we build features on the enterprise side. Um, a lot of the stuff that we're building could potentially be carried over in some ways to retail. Uh, same with new chains um, or certain you know widgets, certain functionality. And so there definitely is some really nice overlap between the products. Um, and so it's not really like an abandonment or a focus on one or the other. It's more so just like where current resources are. Uh, but the work kind of is is going between the two across our core infrastructure, which supports both. Yeah, fascinating. And, and 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 what kind of plans have you guys got moving forward? You know, we've spoken about the vision. Um, obviously, you guys are launching the kind of enterprise um, grade side of things. 
this this week is it yeah wow fantastic um and, and we'll be sure to um check that out um so what what's the kind of future plans for you guys you know what 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 are you guys looking at moving forwards obviously we've got the enterprise what comes after what comes after that for you guys yeah, I mean, I think there's some some pretty exciting stuff on the retail that we have kind of in, in our backlog right now. Obviously, like we had talked earlier, supporting other networks is also one that kind of applies to both enterprise and, and retail. Um, we want to support additional protocols and events, so things like flash loans, you know, GameFi, NFTs, um, on all the current networks. You'd basically be able to use Blockboard as a tool for viewing other on-chain assets and other on-chain tokens. Um, we also want to lean a little bit heavier, I think, into the on-chain trading side of things as well. Um, with Blockforce being able to trade within the platform, um, obviously Blockforce has access to multiple liquidity sources. We know where what prices are trading at for tokens across these different networks and, and exchanges. And so we definitely like to build you know, trading within the platform as well uh, to help the user get best price execution, but also kind of guide them through uh, to help that kind of UI or the UX uh, for users in the space. Um, and yeah, really just expand functionality and features, I think, and continue to grow from there. Yeah, very excited to see where you guys are going to be a year from now, five years from now, and, and and all of the great data that we can sort of access as a result of you growing with the industry. And the last question that I really have for you, uh, Braden, is um, just about what's going on right now with, we can call it crypto, we can call it blockchain and DAGs. What, what, what do you think that's actually happening with this industry? Do you see it as transformative as... Um, what we've spoken about a little bit on the uh, interview, do you see it as just, you know, what, what do you think about this industry genuinely? Do, do you genuinely see it as something that's going to change the world um, or do you have a different kind of view? I'd love to sort of know as somebody that's in this space, your insight into what you actually think is going on here with crypto. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think it, I think you had touched upon this at, at the very beginning around the terminology that people use, like crypto, Web3, like what is it? Uh, how do how do we call this thing? Um, I, I think the core technology will change the world. Like the core technology of these eggs, of blockchain, whatever you want to call it, uh, I think will change the world and will be used, uh, you know, in, in significant ways. Uh, I don't know uh, who the winners will be, I guess, which is usually the question people have, like, what's your favorite network? Um, and it, it's really tough, right? I mean, I think Ethereum is is obviously in, in a very good position. Uh, same with Bitcoin. I mean, they both have very solid use cases. They've been around for a long time. I think reputation in the space is a pretty big thing as well with all the hacks that happen. I think institutions who want to come in the space obviously want a sense of of security. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know who's going to be around in the next 15 years. I know that the technology will be here um, and some of the players that are here will be there. But as you probably know, I mean, I've been in the space since 2016. And there's a lot of projects that used to be in the top 15 that I don't know what page they're on anymore, but they're definitely not on page one on a coin market cap. So um, I suspect that's going to happen again um, in the next you know few years. Um, I think just really just kind of I'm more excited for the evolution of the technology, not the particular projects. Um, I think the technology will stay, and that's also why I'm kind of excited for Blockware as a company because we're obviously not a token and we're not specifically tied to one protocol or one network. We're kind of along for the ride. Uh, so as this industry kind of grows, we plan to grow with it. And if that involves new chains, new technology, new ideas, uh, we would be here to support those. So we're super excited for the future of the tech. I think it will stay, um, but definitely no uh, no bets on who the winners will be from my side. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely uh, familiar with tokens that are no longer anywhere to be seen anymore that at one point seemed like an amazing idea. Um, I could name a, a, an awful lot of those, but I'm, I'm not going to um, either upset anyone or, or upset myself. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think I think you're totally right. You know, picking the winners is 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 quite a hard thing to do. Um, however, I always go back to uh, Jeff Bezos talking about Amazon after the dot-com crash. And he said the really interesting thing with Amazon was that the stock price went like that, right? It just took a nosedive. It went from 107 to 7 or whatever it was. But the metrics that you could weigh the company up by were doing the opposite. They were growing. They were excelling. They were um, Sales were up. Everything was up. Actually, I think this is where data analytics can really help us determine who is winning and who perhaps isn't. Because you guys are providing a platform that we can see where liquidity is. You know, we can see it going out of one chain into another. And I kind of think that the winner, there's going to be a nuance here, but I kind of feel like the winning or the the winners, I think there's going to be multiple, are going to be the ones that get the most liquidity, get the most users, you know, that kind of stuff. And and presumably we can see that all um, or some of it on on Blockpool. Yeah, for sure. And I think to echo your point, I also agree. I don't think there's going to be like a one. I think it's not a zero sum game. I think there'll be several uh, winners, like you had said as well. I think that there's, you know, different use cases, right? Like there's going to be enterprise or institutional use cases. There's going to be private networks, like you had mentioned earlier. Um, I think there's definitely going to be, you know, quite a few. Um, there's also going to be products that we probably all know now that won't exist, right? At some point in time. Um, and yeah, on Block, there's definitely ways to kind of explore different different networks. So we have a page for being able to compare networks against each other. Uh, so you'd be able to see a list of all 10 of our 10 or 11 of our networks. And you'd be able to see like the, the trade count per network, right? So there's definitely stats that you could start using. I know that TVL is a really big stat that uh, is known throughout the industry to compare networks. I think TVL is a bit of a vanity metric because um, TVL could be easily influenced by a small number of participants. And TVL doesn't always equate to acti- activity. Um, if somebody transfers a large sum of money but just sits on it, I mean, what does that matter, right? If somebody transfers, you know, billions of dollars to a network and it's just sitting in a wallet, I don't know, or sitting in a single pool that nobody trades against, I don't know if that's even a metric we should be using. So I would definitely encourage using more than one metric. TVL could definitely be in there, um, but definitely things like, you know, unique wallets, uh, maybe traders, people doing like direct transfers. Uh, there's there's a lot of ways to fake things in crypto because uh, a lot of it's anonymous. Um, but I think definitely using more metrics is also important for evaluating networks outside of just uh, the TBL metric. Yeah, no, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Brayden, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it really has. Um, you know, I'm very, very excited to see where Blockpool go, where this industry goes, uh, and very excited to start playing around with your platform. Um, the final thing for me to really do, and we'll leave links to where they can find your uh, website, your product, you know, um, y- yourselves on social medias. Is there any way you want to sort of plug to kind of close the video out where people can go and they can find you and they can find more um, out about Blockpool and what it is you guys are doing? Yeah, I would say just our, our Twitter, just like Twitter at, at Blockpool. Um, you can reach out to our team. Our DMs are open there as well. So if you have any questions, comments, feedback, feel free to reach out. Always happy to, to have a conversation. Um, and yeah, otherwise, really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Uh, had a great time, great conversation. So yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's a real pleasure. The pleasure is honestly all mine. Um, and, and hopefully um, we can get you back on again to, to not only talk about how Blockpool are doing, but you know about the industry as a whole, because you've got a lot 
to share that, you know, I, I think people would be very interested. So thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure um, and we'll see you very soon.